Hello and welcome to the Still to be Determined podcast, the podcast that follows up on topics from the YouTube channel Undecided with Matt Farrell. I'm Sean Farrell. I'm Matt's older brother. I'm a writer. I'll be asking him the questions and Matthew will be saying hello right now. Hello right now. Before we get into this week's episode, I want to remind people we have a way to support the podcast directly. You can go to stilltbd.fm. There's a link on that page. And when you click that link, there's a little tiny person with a little tiny jar and you can throw some little tiny coins into it. Even if you don't do that, we appreciate you listening and checking out the episodes of both his channel and this one. And now some comments on our previous episode, the hottest and wettest batteries. And Matt, I think that that, <laughs> that title uh, received its own comment from Wave MC. Wave wrote, never expected to see a title this cursed on Still TBD podcast. <laughs> Wave, I, as the person who came up with that title, I agree with you. <laughs> And this from Zachariah Stovall, who wrote, have you guys seen the tech coming out of the factories owned by the guy who started the five-hour energy drink? There's an amazing video no. about him called Billions in Change on YouTube. The technology they made is worth making a video over. Uh, so, Matt, had you ever heard of that? No, I'm going to have to look into that. Yeah, I actually took a quick look. And it turns out that the gentleman who started the five-hour energy drink does have, there's a global foundation and there's a U.S. foundation. And for me, one of the, um, the keys to looking at stuff like this is always, okay, if I make a donation, is it a charitable donation? Does it count as, uh, can I count it on my, my taxes as a charitable donation because there are plenty of places that are like, please donate to our cause. And it's a for-profit venture and there's no, there's no there there sometimes. And I'll be honest, my first response to right. the idea of the guy behind five hour energy drink doing something that was about <laughs> tech. And yes. as the website says, it's tech research and charitable work dedicated to helping the poorest people on the planet. And it is, in fact, a charitable organization under the U.S. IRS regulations. So I was pleased to see that. And I didn't dig much deeper. I figured that would be something that you might want to do and we could do possibly together. We could have an episode dedicated to that in the future. Um, yeah. There are some resources right on their website for being able to watch featurettes and videos about the work that they do and so maybe that is something we will re revisit in the future. So thank you for bringing that up, Zachariah. I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah it's good. And from our UK office, Roger Starkey weighs in with <laughs> responding to the question that we had last week, which was what is potentially the, the future battery storage technology that is going to be the most obvious uh, big use in the future and you mentioned hydro and several other people also in the comments weighed in saying hydro would be the future and roger points out and i think very astutely uh future battery storage hydro several u.s reservoirs lake powell lake mead are at record low levels right now is this going to get better with climate change mm -hmm. very doubtful that is something that you and I did not discuss, but it is a very harsh reality. We're seeing that globally right now as if your part of the planet is not on fire, it might be underwater right now. Um, the 
European flooding mm -hmm. that has been so catastrophic and has led Germany to basically rush forward with government calls to action uh, here in the United States. The West Coast of the United States has been on fire for so long that it's actually affecting the air quality on the East Coast of the United States. So these are things that we are going to see more and more of. Um, so Roger, it's a very sobering comment, but it is one that is definitely worth raising. Yeah, I agree. Not to mention you and I are both on the East Coast and we're both seeing record rainfalls for June and July. Like yeah. we never see this much rain where I live and it's been, there was a, there was a, there've been two things that I've seen recently. One is that New York city has recently been recategorized as now a subtropical yep. zone. And the other is weather patterns in July this year, looking back over a 10 year span, we are now looking at every city on the East coast is this summer experiencing the summer of the city immediately to its south. So yeah, Portland is living through Boston's weather. Boston is living yep, through New York. New York is <laughs> yeah. getting Phillies. Philly is getting DCs. DC is getting Atlanta's and Atlanta is getting Miami. So this slippage of zone is, I mean, let's be honest. It's not surprising. We've heard people no, talking we saw this about coming. this for this now, decades. Decades ago. Yes. It was you know, all, you know, almost half a century ago, people started worrying about this in the small communities and the scientific communities that were looking at the research. It took 25 years for it to start hitting the mainstream and through movies uh, like Al Gore's documentary about global warming. And the denialism at that point was very strong. It's now reached a point where there's no denying it anymore. And the last quibbling, the last straws that are being grasped at by the denialists is the refusal to call it global warming. They want to call it other things like rising sea levels and stuff like that. doesn't matter what you call it. It's here. Mm -hmm. um, so all of that little conversation well, right there is the spurred on by Roger. But what yeah. were you going to say? Because the biggest thing that they're saying right now is the biggest thing they're saying right now is that it's not human created climate change. Right. That's the biggest argument now. And it's like, uh, okay, let's split some hairs. Let's. <laughs> yeah. Let's, okay. <laughs> so on to today's episode where we're going to be talking about Matt's most recent episode, which dropped on July 20th. This was exploring massless energy battery breakthrough. And I don't know what it is about those keywords in your title map, but this was viewed by 870 <laughs> thousand people uh so far your previous episode was yeah. viewed by i think when we talked about it about 170,000. um so yeah. something this about this topic really hitting it boom lots of mm -hmm. interest lots of conversation the first of which is a lot of people weighed in to point out to you that they thought that massless battery as a term didn't make sense. They preferred structural yeah. battery. People like Dr. Hubbs who wrote, I think structural battery makes more sense than massless battery. He went on to say though, 
I love this technology. It allows us to take our energy and distribute it throughout the body instead of a heavy, dense battery in one location that makes balancing the vehicle more of a challenge. And yeah, I completely agree with his second comment um, about the impact, as you, as you point out in your video. Uh, airplanes with wings full of fuel helps with the overall balancing of the plane. It helps with structural integrity at takeoff. It gives it more rigidity. At that point in the flight, uh, there are certain advantages. As this is, comment points out, if you've got a car, you don't have to worry about balancing against something like a giant fuel tank. I know that for myself, I'm always acutely aware when I've gone from a very empty tank to a very full tank. You can feel <laughs> it in the car. You can feel how the car drives differently. Uh, depending yeah. on where the tank, if it's well balanced, you don't notice it. But if it's not, you you get a sense of it. And for electric vehicles where you've got that heavy, heavy battery, making sure it's in a place where it's not going to affect uh, the balance of the car, potentially causing issues on slippery roads could be a major issue if your car's balance is not in a good place. However, I did wonder about the comment about, I think structural battery makes more sense as a term. I have a feeling that you would like to weigh in on that. <laughs> yes. It's... There's a there's a little bit of a yes, technically, maybe massless is probably not the best way to phrase it, but it's the I don't know. I think there's a there's a purist about what the definition actually means versus the idea it's trying to get across. And there was somebody in one of the comments, a lot of people commented on this, said things like uh, massless feels more like a marketing term. And yeah, you could probably say it is a little bit more like a marketing term, but the idea is that you're not adding additional mass to whatever you're building. It's the same mass that it was before, but you have more storage capability, which means it's massless because you're getting additional storage space without adding more mass. So it's a concept as a concept. It makes sense. But from the, the definition of what they're, they're getting at, they're technically probably correct, but I would just kind of push back and say, we don't have to be do a literal interpretation of it it's more of a what is the idea they're trying to get across and what and it explains why we should be excited about it right but yes it's more of a structural battery battery than anything else but because it is part of the structure it means you can get additional energy storage space without adding additional mass right. so that's kind of i don't know it's i don't know I had, it's, it feels yeah. like arguing <laughs> you know the photon torpedoes came out of the yeah <laughs> You know what I mean? It's like, it's, it's, we yeah. can, we can argue about that, but it's the jump. It seemed concept, to me that like, it seemed sound. to me that it was a little bit, I understand what you're saying about it, quibbling about like the photon torpedoes coming out of the phaser, you know, the phaser banks. But, um, yes, I, I would, I would disagree with your summation of that in this sense. It does mm-hmm. have an impact to say all massless batteries are structural batteries, but not all structural batteries. They're not are massless. There are structural Correct. batteries. And that's the issue that I think some people in the comments may have missed is that they can make structural batteries right now. They could put batteries into well, te- all te- the Tesla's framing around a car and you would have a structural battery. It would not yes. be the same as saying it's a massless battery, which is saying, as you pointed out, it's not adding to the mass of the overall vehicle. So massless yes. in I noticed in all the headlines of the articles that you showed, massless was typically in quotes. Mm -hmm. And the other thing Mm -hmm. that occurred to me was 
this is a little bit like saying you have a zero carbon footprint on the planet. It does not mean you do not right. produce carbon. It means that you are doing Correct. things that create enough of a negative impact to balance it out, out where yep. your carbon fr- footprint actually is existing. So this is, it is terminology and it may seem on the surface at times like quibbling over terminology semantics, but I do think it does have an impact. If you were to say to somebody, this is, this car has massless battery technology in it. Therefore every ounce of battery here is putting its energy into the movement of the vehicle as opposed to the movement of the battery itself. That's an important distinction I think to make. Right. That's a really, a really good way to break it down. I like the way you just did that. That's spot on. So aside from any semantic questions, some of the other comments that were made on the video included this from break one niner who wrote the biggest problem I see is reselling batteries that are integrated into the body will make it nigh impossible to replace batteries that are hitting the end of their life. My daily drive is a 22 year old Honda that runs perfectly. I seriously doubt these batteries will last that long. Any thoughts on battery life Um, resellability? This is, I always, I always get a little worked up when I hear comments like that. Cause it's, it's, you can't equate, you can't equate that way. It's, there's so many different variations between battery chemistries and use cases of those battery chemistries. Well, a lot of people tend to say like my battery and my cell phone is worthless after a couple of years. I don't have to change my car battery in a couple of years. It's like completely it's apples and oranges it does not degrade in the same way. It doesn't have the same use case. It doesn't have the same battery chemistry. There's so many different things. Battery management systems handle it in a different way and can help prolong the life of a battery. Uh, Tesla's newest batteries they're coming out with are going to last half a million miles easily. And I don't know about you, Sean, but that's a lifetime of a car. So it's like, (laughs) it's like, I don't know if I'm going to ever drive half a million miles in my lifetime. It would probably take me 30 plus years to do that. So it's these batteries and cars are going to last a long time. Now these batteries, these structural batteries I talked about, it's just, they're proving the concept of the structural battery that they're building. Um, They're not totally focused on lifespan and use cases and all that kind of stuff around it quite yet so they're going to get there eventually over the next like decade Mm -hmm. it's going to take a long time for this to roll out so to equate what you experience today to what this thing is is just it's a false equivalence there were also a lot of comments about oh that's great when i get you know rear-ended and damaged in my car my car is going to blow up because you know our experience with floating uh, exploding uh, samsung phones or you know EVs supposedly catching on fire for no reason and stuff like that. It's like this is once again it's a false equivalence. If this is a similar battery chemistry to or a technique that's to solid state batteries, those don't explode. You can literally drive a nail through a solid state battery and it will keep working and nothing bad will happen. So it's like it totally depends on what the battery chemistry is and the techniques that are used in manufacturing the battery. That just because you get in an accident doesn't mean you have to replace the whole battery. It doesn't mean your car is going to explode. It doesn't mean it's going to die in two years. So it's it's we can only know what we know from our life experience. So I understand why people come at it from that way, but mm-hmm. it's hard to explain to people that we can't we can't do that. You have to look, uh, judge it on its own merits. Yeah, if that makes sense. It's 
seems very much to me that this is the equivalent of saying, well, I don't know about this car technology because it doesn't seem to do what my horse can do. Yes, exactly. And that's not to say that, you know, that is such an obvious uh, absurdity to that comparison. And I'm not saying people who are comparing a gas burning car with an electric vehicle are being absurd. It is obvious that they're the similarity to those two vehicles is so they're, they're 99% identical to each other. So obviously people are going to compare thinking they're comparing apples to apples. Yep. But I think what you've just described is a paradigm shift that we haven't lived through yet and not having lived through it. We don't understand how do we consume electric vehicles if we don't consume them in the same way. There's also Mm -hmm. one of my responses to this comment of he's, his daily car is a 22 year old Honda that runs perfectly. And that's great. What if in the future he doesn't need to own a car? Exactly. Because of fleets of self-driving vehicles. And when he wants to get to and from a place, he just calls a self-driving vehicle. We don't know in 25 years what the, what the changes to the roads might look like. And we've just entered the era of governments around the world, putting restrictions on the sale of gas vehicles. So the day is coming where you won't get to debate that. You won't be able to say, well, my Honda does this. Therefore my future should always be gas. It becomes a mood argument at a certain point. And then it becomes, well, what does ownership of an electric vehicle look like? What does the life of an electric vehicle look like? I thought it was very interesting. And I thought you didn't quite go into the details of what it meant the way you could have. And maybe you could do that now. The technology around the base of the car, if the battery pack becomes damaged in some way, and there's a, a, a change to the shape of the bottom piece underneath the battery pack, the technology you were describing was effectively that it wouldn't cause damage to the battery pack to keep it from working. It would continue to be able to hold a charge and, and function. And that to me sounds like what you're talking about is the wear and tear and potential damage to the underside of a vehicle of rocks that are getting ricocheted up from tires and and so forth, Mm -hmm. maybe rough terrain that these new technologies are being built with that in mind so that that kind of impact doesn't take your car. You hear a giant clunk and then see a bunch of acid dump out from underneath your car. (laughs) And then that's the end of your car. Yes. Yeah, they're taking the engineering into account. Like, you can't engineer an EV the way you would engineer a gasoline car. The way gasoline cars are engineered, they're engineered to protect the gas tank. You know, I mean, there's crumple zones and things around it to protect the gas tank from bursting and leaking gasoline everywhere as best as possible. It's the same thing with a battery pack. They're doing things with, like, the Tesla's sandwiched, (laughs) glued-together base of the car that they're going to be moving towards in their new models they're doing things where it's like there's like crumple zones and there's additional layers of protection on the underside of the car so that if the bottom of the car gets hit with a large rock and dents, it's not denting into the battery. It's just denting the bottom panel. So it's like there's basically crumple zones and things around the battery pack to protect the battery cells themselves from damage so that they don't explode and leak and have all these kinds of problems. 
So it's it's no different than what we do today. So it's like we're driving around in on a top of an explosive gasoline tank and people don't bat an eye about that, but yet they're batting an eye about riding on top of a battery pack for some reason. So it's we kind of got to change our mode of thinking and understand that the engineering around these is different and they're always taking this stuff into account to make these vehicles as safe as possible. Yeah. It's got to be as safe it's got to be as safe as a gasoline car or better or why would you use it? So it's that's one of the things you have to remember. Yeah, and as children of the 70s, we remember stories of the Pintos that would (laughs) blow up because they decided to put a gas tank on the opposite side of six inch bolts that in the case of fender benders, those bolts could puncture the gas tank. So we are definitely not looking at companies that are looking at just slapping a battery into the bottom of a car and saying, good luck. This is, this is not what is happening in these cases. And as you point out, I would much rather be sitting on a battery Mm-hmm. and we also grew up in a time where all we had was lap belts <laughs> in the car in some cases we didn't, we didn't have even have that shoulder harnesses so, yeah <laughs> yeah matt and i had a car that we shared when we were in high school and college which was a hyundai xl which i always like to brag was one of the only cars that was made out of aluminum foil and our, I felt like I could have lifted that car with one hand. Yeah, it weighed approximately like 15 pounds. Um, it would shudder when you hit about 60 miles an hour, but when you got to 65, it would stop shuddering. So we used <laughs> you to joke the sound that, that was the, the moment that you broke the sound barrier or were able to travel back in time. And for me, the most telling moment was when our parents bought the car. It only had shoulder belts. It did not have lap belts and Mm -hmm. the shoulder belts were built into the door. So you didn't have the choice of wearing it. So you'd open up the door. It would swing out with the door. You get in. And then when you shut the door, it was already in place, but it didn't have the lap component. And our mother, because she loves us so much and she thinks we're cherished, cherished human beings that she wanted to make sure we're safe, had me drive the car (laughs) down to the local our our families the the garage that my family used for all of our vehicles and they trusted that garage mechanic and i took the car down there dutifully as my mother had said and said we would like an estimate of how much it would cost to have lap belts put in and the next day i went back to get the car and the mechanic said to me here's the thing i could charge you to put lap belts in but mm-hmm. the aluminum that is holding the seats to the chassis of the car is so thin that if you were ever in an accident, the weight of your body would just pull the belt out of the frame of the chair. They wouldn't do you any good. So you're just going to have to depend that the shoulder belt will be enough. And in watching your video about the safety of these batteries and our discussion just now, I keep flashing back to that. (laughs) (laughs) to the idea that people are are worried about the safety of these vehicles because of course the headline electric vehicle bursts into flame in a parking lot is extremely Mm -hmm. dramatic but i don't know the numbers but i'm willing to bet the number of electric vehicles that have actually burst into flames is less than the number of gas cars that over the past few years all those cars that would spontaneously put themselves into gear and drive through 
you know, drive over people um, and through the US garage doors and, and all of those stories. I would be willing to bet there have been fewer electric vehicles that have burst into flames than there were gas vehicles that would spontaneously put themselves into gear. Um, yeah, it, there was over 200,000 car fires in the U.S. last year. And the number of uh, EVs that just burst into flames is... <laughs> Percentage-wise, yes, there's fewer EVs than gasoline cars, but even if you take that into account, it's a, like a fraction of a fraction. So it's gasoline cars burst into flames way more than EVs. Right. EVs are dramatically safer. I think all of that is a is a sign of the difficulty of the the paradigm shift that we're talking about. It's a big mm -hmm. mindset shift. Um, and another personal story from our family. It it makes me think of our grandmother who who was hesitant to get a cordless phone, not a cell phone, just a cordless phone because she didn't want the quote added expense. Yep. It's difficult for people to latch on to new technology until they've lived the new technology. And when we went out and bought our grandmother, a cordless phone, plugged it in, handed her the receiver and had her make a phone call. And it worked just like her corded phone. She said, Oh, this is neat. And then she had, a, had <laughs> yeah. that, that change of mind. It clicked. So just two comments to go. And these are very brief. I just wanted to read them because I thought they were funny. Sislord Soy Blue wrote, quote, yes, I need to order a new fender. Okay, that'll be $10,000. <laughs> yeah. And Maximilian Bayer wrote, the car salesman slaps through for the car and the car burns down. <laughs> i know we've just talked about safety and how that's not actually going to yes. happen but i still laughed when i read that comment. it's funny so it's thank you funny. maximilian so my question for the listeners so that we can talk about this next time we've touched on it here about the the paradigm shift the the change of mindset between the different types of vehicles from the gas era moving toward an electric era my question to the listeners is what does car ownership actually mean to you is car ownership, the actual ownership of the vehicle itself, a key component of that for you, or would you move toward a future where you didn't actually own the vehicle, but had the ability to call one at need? Let us know what you think. You can leave your comments in the comment section of the YouTube channel or you can find the contact information in the podcast description. Please do subscribe. And don't forget, there are multiple ways of supporting the podcast. You can go to stilltbd.fm and you'll see the support the podcast link. You can also simply keep doing what you're doing right now. Lend us your ears. You can listen. You can watch us on YouTube. You can give us a rating or a review. You can share us with your friends. All of these things really do help the podcast. The podcast helps the channel. The channel helps Matthew, and then Matthew gets upset when I make a joke about a car burning down. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening, everybody. We'll talk to you next time. <laughs> <laughs>